Hey everybody, we have an exciting podcast for you today, but first, I want to take a moment to talk about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Hotel Finland in the great city of Butte, America. Following in the model of the Murray Hotel in Livingston, Hotel Finland's new owners are making major improvements to a historic hotel located right in the heart of the city. Rooms start at just $80 a night, or you can get a whole suite for just over $100. Basically, the same price or cheaper as the boring chain hotels you can find along the interstate. Get your room today at finland.com. F-I-N-L-E-N.com. I want to give a shout out to Jeremy Parker, the sound engineer, podcast editor, and all-around good guy. He has a million and a half things to do, and he was still kind enough to help me make the interview happen. He's amazing. He's moving to L.A. in a couple weeks, and I wish I could hire this guy full-time. So if you're in L.A. and you're hiring, this guy is just jumping right into your hands. Okay, let's get down to it. I had the pleasure of speaking with Ryan Leaf today. He's someone who has been through a lot, to say the very least. He's come out on the other end better and stronger. He's a really nice guy. He was kind and super easy to speak with. And I left the interview excited about him and his story of redemption. And with that, here's our interview. This interview is brought to you by the Montana Mint. My guest today is former NFL quarterback Ryan Leaf. You guys may know Ryan from several venues because his story sort of supersedes the world of sport. Ryan, thanks for being with us here today. You bet. Thanks for having me. So, Ryan, what brings you back to Montana? Uh, I was uh, a client of mine, wanted me to speak at a local event here on campus, actually. It's called the uh, Rockstars of Health Summit. And I was their keynote uh, speaker this morning. And then I'll get a chance to spend some time with my family. And then, uh, you know, Glacier uh, Healthcare as well up there on the High Line kind of uh, is having me speak Sunday and, and Monday. And then I'll I'll head back home. I live in Los Angeles now at this time. So when you typically land in Great Falls, I presume, to visit your folks, do, how long does it take you to realize, oh, my God, the wind blows so hard here? I think you just you, you're just you're so used to it um, that it doesn't necessarily. It, I, I, it's funny when I travel around the country because we'll be in places and people are like, "God, it's blowing so hard," especially in California. And they're like, "Guys, will like, I'm not gonna play golf today. It's blowing too hard." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? This is <laughs> this is heaven. If we could have these kind of days growing up here in Great Falls and on the High Line, we'll. I mean, we'd play golf every day of the year. So." Um, after having been away for such a long time, when it hits you in the face for the first time, you're just like, whoa, this is different. Right, this, this, yeah. is, this is what I remember type of mentality. So, But L.A. hasn't really softened you up at all. Um, I don't think it's softened me up. I like it. I like coming back to the cold. And um, I do know this. My fiance and I, I have a little deal with her. I said, I will, I'm willing to move anywhere and be with her uh, just as long as two things. I can play golf 365 days a year. And wear flip flops 365 days a year. So, <laughs> li- you know, living in in a place where it snowed hasn't necessarily stopped me from wearing flip flops all the time. But, but I want to be in a, in a place where I can honestly play golf 365 days a year where I live. Awesome. That's good goals. Good goals. Yep. So I was looking back at sort of your Wikipedia page, and I noticed you guys you helped win a nine a 1992 state football championship. 
And it struck me, it's something I never won, but I was thinking, what is more, what was more rewarding for you? Was it winning that championship or getting a verified Twitter account? Uh, definitely winning that championship. Everyone wants the verified blue really? check mark. That's so cool. Really? I think it's used, I think it's really good for, for what I do and how I work with people uh, who are struggling with mental health and, and substance abuse issues. I think that's the only real positive thing that comes out of having like a verified thing on there is at least they know who they're talking to and they can probably be more transparent and vulnerable when it comes to that. But winning that 92 title, man, that I was a junior. Uh, that team was senior laden. Uh, a bunch of my heroes kind of growing up. Um, you know, I'd watch Dave Dickinson my freshman year win a, a state championship. Uh, we we didn't even make it to the playoffs my sophomore year. And then my junior year, uh, we were ripe for the for the taking and and then to to go and on the road and beat a Helena Capital team that was undefeated up to that point with a lot of future Grizzlies on that defense um, and to win that was that's huge. I, I really I really kind of cherish that state championship um, yeah. out of all my all the things that I've been able to do playing football. So I'm glad you mentioned heroes. Growing up in a small town in Montana, I would always go and check the paper, the Great Falls Tribune, to check in on some of my heroes. Like locally, we had some great guys, Kurt Schilling, who played for the Grizz. We had Matt Seidensticker, Brent Wolvet, And then we had some Great Falls folks like yourself and Dave Dickinson. Um, Mike Warhank was a, a stat phenomenon. Who were some of your heroes growing up in that area? Well, I mean, Dave Dickinson was first and foremost. He was my, like my first hero, right, because – we grew up like a block and a half from each other. And when I finally was old enough to get to start playing like in the pickup basketball and pickup football games just down the street at, at North Middle School, that was that was the big time for me. And I always wanted to be like him. And it's a big reason why I continued to play quarterback. And I was a freshman when he was a senior. And so I got to spend a whole school year with him, watching him go from football to basketball and and how he conducted himself and how he played the position. So I definitely knew I wanted to do that. So he was definitely a local hero, um, you know, national hero. Terry Bradshaw was my my hero growing up. He was the Pittsburgh Steelers starting quarterback, won four Super Bowls, and definitely was was the hero for me when it came to that. Um, and then my father. I mean, just my dad is my dad is a two tour Vietnam veteran who raised three boys and uh, self made businessman and you know he's somebody that I have have truly looked up to my whole life <coughs> excuse me three speeches in 60 hours we'll do that to your voice <laughs> and then I have a radio show every morning for three hours yeah you're on Sirius XM that's pretty exciting you talk about the Pac-12 yeah I mean uh you know I was a, a communications major in college so it's what I wanted to do, and but the last place I wanted to be was in a newsroom when I retired from the NFL. With and I think it's kind of there's a bit of karma there, the fact that I'm in media now, and uh, how <laughs> because of how poorly I treated the the media when I played. So, but it's fun. I get to talk about football, um, college football, college sports, pro football, you know, pro sports in general. Series Six M has been really neat to me. Uh, giving me plenty of opportunities, and now the Pac-12 Network uh, is in, is starting to give me some opportunities. I got to call my first couple college football games this year, which was which was great. How much do you miss the former Pac-10? Um, 
I miss it because I mispronounce it all the time when I'm doing the show. <laughs> I want to say Pac-10 all the time because it's all I know. Um, I think the addition of Colorado and and in Utah has been significant. I think uh, you know they've made it more competitive. Um, I don't think they've diluted it at all, and and we've seen that with the resurgence of Colorado in the last few years being competitive in the conference. If you come into the conference and you're just kind of the doormat, um, there really isn't a point. But if you're able to come into the conference and actually contribute and compete and make it a, a solid strength of schedule type of uh, matchup, I think that's 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 good. And Utah really has a – both of them do, but Utah really has a good shot this year to, to finally come out of the South as a division champ. Do you think it's going to be hard to remain – like a hundred percent objective, if you get a call at WSU game, I did. I called or, my first two games were were Washington State games, um, and I was always worried that the words "we" was going to come out of my mouth, like we didn't get it done there or we made a big play there. So I had to be w- really aware of it. I, I don't necessarily think I was. And I don't think I flip flopped to the other side where I was overly critical. I think I was just. You just try to uh, observe, articulate, and um, inform. The, the person at home and I likened it to sitting on the couch with my dad growing up just watching a football game and kind of commenting on it and luckily for me my, my play-by-play guy is also my co-host on my radio show every day so him and I have a, a solid chemistry already and and it was really fun I wanted to take away two things from it I wanted to take away the fact that that I could do it and do it well and that I wanted to that I really enjoyed it and I really did when it's when it was done I was like you know, darn it, I may not get an opportunity to call another game this year, and uh, I might have to wait a whole other year. And what I need right now is reps uh, to get better and 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 not to have them. So I started shadowing some guys. Last year I shadowed Brady Quinn and Joel Klatt and Kirk Herbstreit, and this year um, recently I went and shadowed Greg McElroy with ESPN last weekend. Uh, and I'll continue to do that just so I can learn more uh, and, and, and when the next opportunity presents itself, you know, take full advantage of it. It's a hard job when the camera's rolling, it's live, you have a finite amount of time to make an observation. I'm always blown away at how good the pros are. Yeah, Chris Collinsworth, for as much crap he takes from people, he is he is unreal. I did find out something, though, that there is a, a device that they put in the, and I found this out the other night when I was with the ESPN crew, they put a, a monitor in there where they show the, the replay, like immediately after the play, and then the replay that the fans see on the television that he's, you know, illustrating on is after he's watched it a couple times on the delayed one. And that, I was like, oh, that makes it, wow, that makes it easier for me now to think that that I, I could see it before and I know whose number and who made the block and what big play play happened. Because I watched it, I'm like, how did you, how do you interpret that so fast and then articulate it to the audience? And um, so, but... I'll I'll utilize all the technology I can too if I can be more um, uh, educational for the listener at home. I uh, I help the root sports guys when they broadcast Missoula, and I'm in the booth with them giving them stats. And they have a mo- they have that monitor, um, and it's still I don't know, I think it's one of the coolest things. They'll start a sentence and I'll slide them a stat. And they'll look at it mid-sentence and infuse that stat into the same sentence seamlessly. I think you guys... It's the way we think, though. We think that way. We just need that little piece of... like So that stat is huge for us to um, you know, formulate our, our statement. It, it's big because we're, we're leaning that way. In fact, we want that information. You are just able to uh, uh, you know, give that to us and allow us to then uh, you know, formulate 
a, a bigger and better statement to inform the the public who's listening. Yeah, that's cool. So we we talked about WSU just just for a moment, and I kind of wanted to go back to your experience there a little bit. Um, first, I know how they have that saying like first a coog or once a coog always a coog. Like they have very strong resonance with their alum. I'm wearing my coog uh, my coog sweatpants right now. Yeah, you are. Yeah. So talk to me about what it means to be an alum of WSU and what they continue to mean to you. It's pretty special. I always found it funny um, to see all like the Grizz fans in Montana just because half of the Grizz fans in Montana didn't even go to school here. You know? Yeah. There's it's just it's it's almost like they're pro football, so they they jump on that bandwagon. And I always ask that question. I said, Did you go to school there? And they're like, No. And I'm like, Well what why do you why do you <laughs> why do you why are you so diehard for him then? I mean being a cougar is exactly that. There's no nowhere else in the world where you decide at eighteen on who you're gonna be the rest of your life, your identity. You know, I chose at 18 years old that I was going to be a Cougar the rest of my life. And going to Washington State University is a different different dynamic, right? We could be on the opposite side of the world walking through an airport and somebody could see me in my sweats or a hat and you hear somebody shout out, go Cougs, and the response immediately is go Cougs back to them. It's just, you know, it's a decision we made. And it's it's pretty special. And to be an alumni from there uh, is big because we're kind of an underdog Within our conference, always have been. We've had years where we have excelled, but we've kind of always been maybe a little bit of the baby brother uh, of the conference. And uh, it's neat to see him under uh, you know the tutelage of Mike Leach to kind of get back towards the top uh, year in, year out now. So I'm thinking of you going to WSU and, and hearing you talk about it. It makes me really happy you know, for you and for you to have this experience. But I'm still sort of pissed as a Grizz fan that Don Reed or the the administration here didn't find a way to secretly give you a dump truck of cash and say, come on, play with Dave again. What what went into your decision to choose WSU? I know uh, you probably had a lot of offers. Yeah, that was that was the one thing is that, you know, my ego kind of gotten had starting to get really involved there when I was a 17-year-old kid, and all of a sudden I was being recruited by every college in the country. The fact that Montana um, – was one of them for me made me feel like I was better than that. Um, I came down for a recruiting trip an unofficial recruiting trip and watched Dave play against, I believe either Idaho or Boise state. And Dave was my host and Dave took me out, uh, the night after the game. And then he, he, he just, he kind of blatantly came up and said, Hey, the coaches wanted me to ask you, are you even, are you even going to consider Montana? Cause if you're not, you know, they don't want to put the effort into, the recruiting process and, and stuff like that. And, you know, my, I was truthful with him. I said, my answer, I said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come here. And, uh, he was like, he's like, that's great, man. Good luck. And what's funny about it is we ended up playing each other. Um, my freshman year of college, um, I was red shirting. No, it was my second year. It was my second year in college. Cause I was, I played in the game and it was the year they would go on to win the national championship in 95. And it really shows you the dispersity of, uh, of talent and scholarships and things like that, because, they would go on and be the best team in Division One AA that year, and we would go on and win three games. We'd go three and eight, and we we beat them bad enough that I that I actually got in the game and played quarterback late in the ball game. So, um, 
It was fun to watch him play, always was, and I was really happy to see him go on and win a national championship. But I, I'm sure they would have, if, if I'd have told him, I said, hey, man, you're you're in the mix. I'm sure they would have put the full court press on and tried <laughs> to get it done. That's a great what if. Yeah. Uh, but it worked out. I probably would have, if it would, if it, if it came between the Grizz and the Cats, I would have, I would have went to the Bobcats just because my dad went there. I just kind of <laughs> saw him as a little bit of the underdog when it came. And what I remember growing up is the 1984 national championship, uh, Montana State Bobcats, that team, Kelly Bradley or Kelly Brantley, uh, I think his name was at quarterback. And, uh, um, so I, I, I most likely, if it, if it would have come between uh, Montana State and Montana, I probably would have been a been a, a Bobcat. That's sorry a, sorry that's, to say, Montana fans. That's a there. less interesting what if yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned your ego at the time, and that really sets the stage for what I think is one of the most unique comeback stories of all time and really informs what you're up to today. Um, so maybe – if you could take some time, you're a brand ambassador for Transcend, and you have a foundation, Focused Intensity. Yeah, I wear a lot of hats right now. You know, it's 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 a fulfilling and busy life. Um, it started out small. I started out as a, a driver and a ma- house manager for Transcend Recovery Community in Los Angeles. This was after I, about three months after I got out of prison. And what do they do? They work in the sober living realm where they have sober living environment, homes, a detox center, um, outpatient facilities for people who deal with mental health and substance abuse issues. And that's where I started. I started in the house that way. And then my boss, who has become my business partner and now one of my best friends, um, it evolved into a position of brand or program ambassador within the company. We have facilities in Los Angeles, Houston, and New York. Um, I'm also the chairman of a, of a nonprofit where we raise money for scholarships for people who can't afford substance abuse and mental health treatment. So we essentially send people to treatment who want the help, who can't afford it. And then of course, you know, I, I delved into the broadcasting side, you know, I'm a, um, radio show host for Sirius XM, um, PAC 12 network and, and mad dog sports radio, as well as doing, uh, a- analyst work for the PAC 12 television network. And then I'm... Uh, I started a company called Ram Consultant, and uh, I travel around the country and consult with with m- different programs, give motivational and inspirational speeches, and uh, and I do that. So I stay very very busy, um, but it was what was needed. And all of this that I do kind of revolves around the the mantra of being of service as a foundation. And if that hadn't occurred, um, then then none of this would have probably been possible. How did that occur? In prison, my uh, roommate, um, he was an Afghan-Iraqi war veteran, and he uh, he had driven drunk one night here in Missoula, I believe, and killed somebody. And I watched him make amends and try to be a better person every day we were in there. And I just thought he was thought it was absurd. I thought he was silly. I said, we're losers. This is not going to help us. And he had enough one day, and he just got on my case and told me how I didn't understand the value of what I had, not only for the men in there, but for when I got out. And he suggested we go down and help prisoners who didn't know how to read, learn how to read. And that, that was day one. And of course it's been many days since, and it's been a constant building on that foundation. But I think that 
was the start of it. I didn't know it was happening at that time, and I probably didn't realize it completely either when I left prison, but I knew that um, I was going to have to be a different person. Otherwise, I was just going to go back or end up or end up dead, to be honest. He seems like a real fascinating character, person in, in your story. What do you think is the fl- the switch that flips in someone that makes them want to have a day one? There comes a point where the pain of what you're going through has to be get to a point where it's less than the pain you're going through for not changing. It's it's weird. Some people never get to that point. I I never got to it until I was humbled in a way where I was in a prison cell. I mean, this little kid from Great Falls who never saw that as even a possibility was was right there, but I should have known that a little kid from Great Falls who never saw something as a possibility easily can come true because the odds of me making it to the NFL were astronomical. There's, I mean, I'm the only Montanan who was, who's ever been drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. There are more first-round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. So there's a uniqueness that, that I thought I had. Um, I wasn't supposed to get there ever. And I'm not supposed to be alive right now to tell this story because of my addiction and of where I had to go because of that addiction. So there's a there's a reason why I'm here, and it's a it's definitely become a very spiritual awakening for me because of it. They say when when people change, and some people never change, but when they do, they gain something, and oftentimes they lose something to have a real change. What do you think you've maybe gained and what pieces maybe did you lose in this transformation? Well, I gained humility and humility for me is uh, the understanding of who you are, what your core values are. Um, that's what true humility is. No matter what anybody says about you to you or anything, you, you know who you are and you're okay with that. I think I gained that. Um, I lost, I don't know what I lost. You know, I lost a lot of character defects, which are good things to lose. Um, I cannot say from all my travels and tribulations and adversity, I cannot say that um, I really regret any of it. I'm grateful to have spent 32 months in prison. I don't recommend it for anybody, but I'm, I'm grateful for that. Man, when when you think back on your journey and what had to happen for you to get to a position today, I think it's really powerful for you to acknowledge that you, you know you don't regret it, that you're making positive impacts in people's lives that maybe you wouldn't have ever made had had you not suffered. Oh yeah, that's um, the impact I have on people now. Um, would have never happened if I would have, you know, been a good football player, won a couple Super Bowls, and rode off into the sunset. The, the, the impact I had would have on people, um, it makes me more relatable. We're we're alike. We struggle. We just like every human being. We're flawed, and we're trying to be better every day. And sometimes that athlete that's on that pedestal that seems so perfect. You, you admire them, but you don't feel like you can relate to them. And 
I think that has allowed for me to connect with a lot more people than I ever would have if I would have just kind of been, you know, I'd essentially be kind of like a 42-year-old asshole with two Super Bowl rings right now. That's about what the de- <laughs> definition of what it would be. So I noticed that you take on, you've taken on a lot of personal responsibilities for how you were, old Ryan, um, which, again, as is empowering because it shows, it proves to you that you are in control of your situation. And, but I have noticed in some interviews and your E60 documentary that you give a lot of uh, plaudits to the people in your life that helped build you up. But I don't hear you thank yourself a lot. Say something nice about Ryan Leaf today. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, that's, a, that's neat. Because everybody kind of gives me everything to allow me to be the person I am. Um, You know, I'm caring. I think I've always been caring. I just think that I got in the way of that, me personally, got in the way of actually caring for people. I think I'm caring. I'm a good father. You have a son. Yeah. How how old is he? He's going to be a year here, October 5th. Okay. I'm a good father. I'm a good fiance right now, hoping to be a, a good husband. I'm... You know, I'm the things that are important in life. I'm a good father. I know that. And um, that's going to push me down the line to to continue to behave in the manner I've become accustomed to the last few years. For someone who hasn't maybe made the switch, and when I consider all the people in their lives that are are watching them struggle, what can people do to help? their loved ones struggling? Well, you can do everything you want to. You can do everything that you think can, but if the person that's struggling isn't willing to accept that they are in trouble and surrender, then nothing's going to change. And so that's always my biggest thing. I think some people tend to ask for help, but then when the help you offer them isn't what they want, they'll they'll push it away. You have to be willing to to surrender uh, and understand that your way doesn't work and accept the help from people who have been through what you're going through. And that's exactly what I did. I, I found people in my life that essentially had what I wanted, and that was a peaceful, unchaotic life. And I went up to them and I asked them how they got it. And then I followed the directions verbatim. Addiction affects millions. I know there's stats out there, 10, 30, 50 million people in this country. It's a real healthcare crisis, but I feel like it's still plagued with a stigma that addiction is some moral defect and not a a healthcare matter to be considered like any other healthcare matter. It's, It's considered completely differently. Is it hard being Ryan Leaf with this stigma? Because it seems like People only maybe choose to know one side of you. No, it, it isn't because I know who I am and I know that that is a disease that I had. It's a treatable disease. If I told you that in one in every five people who had cancer only sought treatment, you'd think that was crazy. Right. Yeah. You know, one in five people who have addiction issues actually seek and get treatment. 
And that needs to change. It's science. This is a medical disease that afflicts the brain. And there are resources and there are, um, I won't say cures because I don't like that word because it's a constant maintenance program, just like if you're a diabetic, same, same thing. So yes, um, I can't control what people think or do. I can only control with what I do and what I say and how I choose to attack the day. And that's for me is to be part of the solution. Now, there are things that were happening in the 60s that still haven't changed stigma-wise. Um, you know, I may not be around to actually see the end of the stigma, but I can't contribute every single day I get up and be part of that solution and 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 hopefully get a chance to see that change where, um, where somebody's dealing with a mental health disorder or a substance abuse disorder and they actually come forward and just tell their friends and their peers and everybody around them that I'm struggling and I need help and they're not looked upon as weak or crazy or any of those things that are associated with the stigma that exists. Oh, that's a day I look forward to in a big way. Ryan, where do you see yourself in five years? I, you know, I don't, I don't look ahead at all. I only look at what's in front of me today and, um, if I do the same things I'm doing uh, today that I did yesterday, I'll probably lay my head down uh, a sober man, which will allow for the next day to present itself. And the good thing about being an athlete, um, you're regimented. And in recovery, it's it's very similar. You know, you have a very regimented schedule. I stick to. Um, I'm a creature of habit when it comes to that. It also helps me be held accountable by the people that I've surrounded myself with when I exhibit old behaviors um, so I can address them in a healthy and positive way. And that's, that's, that's just, a, that's just different behavior for me. If people tried to hold me accountable or show me the mirror in a sense in the past, I would just essentially just remove them from my life. And, uh, I know that my best thinking takes me to a prison cell. So, um, that was hard to admit because I felt like how could somebody who thought that way make it to the level or have the success that I did, you know, there's a fine line between like elite athlete and asshole. And you just kind of bounce back and forth from there. And, and uh, um, once you can confront that and understand that you need help in, in all aspects of, of decision-making because you don't do it properly, that's a shift. And you think differently and you go to the right people and they keep you, they keep you in the straight, they keep you in the straight and narrow as well. Are you still a hyper competitive person? Um, pr yeah, yeah, probably. So if we were to like pull out a ping pong table, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'd be competitive. I, but but if I were to lose, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't act out. I I would I I could take a ribbing, um, and stuff like that. Before you know, in my in my days of living here in Montana, and competing all over the state in Big Sky State games and. Um, summer tournaments and and then you know high school football and basketball uh, competitions. It was it was brutal. It was about I had to win at everything, and if I didn't, it was the end of the world. It really was. And of course, now if I lose, it's it's not the end of the world. I understand um, that. Uh, the funny thing is that I just assume that I'll pick up a ping pong tap uh, paddle and I'll win. And I have never picked up a ping pong 
paddle before. You've never picked? Oh, I mean, I have maybe once or twice in my life, I was going to say, right? let's go play. Yeah. I'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> right and leave at one thing. So, <laughs> you know, I just, for some reason, I just assume that I'm supposed to, I was training the other day and I watched Saquon Barkley do this uh, 315-pound deadlift and then vertical jump 36 inches, I think. And I was like, I was watching the video and I was on my radio show and I'm like, I can do that. I can do, I can do that. I know I can do that. So I went to the gym afterwards and I was with my trainer and I set up the whole thing. He's watching me do it. And I got 315 pounds on the deadlift and a little box jump with a, a 36 or 38 inches there. And I'm getting ready and my trainer's like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to, I want you to film this because I want to be like, it ain't no big deal, Saquon. Saquon, what's up? 42 year old Ryan Leaf busted out. And, and he looks at me, he's like, you're not, I'm not, I'm not letting you do this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he wouldn't let me do it. And uh, he... Uh, well, someone with your injury history, that's a good trainer. <laughs> he just... I mean, you just forget, like, you're an elite athlete at one point. Those guys are freaks of nature. I could do it once, but and it's still in your mind that you thinks you can do it again. And that's where I was, right? Yeah. I probably would have hurt myself. <laughs> you know, I probably... I don't know about the... I can do the 315 deadlift, but after doing that and having the legs, like, fatigued, I probably would have ended up pulling something or smashing my knees again or my shins against the box and I mean, he he was smart but <laughs> yeah i'm still competitive um in everything i do i just you know i don't take it i don't take it as seriously is a good way to put it so at family reunions who's who's the best quarterback in the family between you your brother and the kegels uh me by for sure you know okay if it wasn't everybody else would have been the second pick in the nfl draft come on um <laughs> My brother broke every one of my records at, at at CMR. Dave's as well. Went on to Oregon, played really well there. If, if Chip Kelly doesn't come in and change the offense, you know he's most likely the quarterback there at, there at Oregon. Um, and then Matt Matt comes along, uh, follows me at Washington State, and ends up probably winning the biggest the biggest bowl game victory that they've ever had, beating Vince Young and, and Cedric Benson in uh, Texas in the Holiday Bowl. So. Justin, of course, at Montana Tech. People get lost in my my middle brother Jeffrey, who uh, was an unbelievable All State cornerback for the season, oh. for the wrestlers, and uh, he went off and went to San Diego State and was going to play basketball. He walked on as a basketball player there, and then fell in love with the theater and became a, a drama student, and now is you know an actor and director. Uh, no way. Yeah. So he's. Uh, Does he live in L.A. with you? Yeah, he lives in L.A. and New York, back and forth. So he's. Uh, he gets to he gets to be Uncle Jeff a lot lately with the new with the new one in town. Oh, that's so cool. How how about basketball? I I've heard I just remember growing up and hearing, you know, legends of of all the heroes in the area and I remember a story uh, a baseball coach I had tell of you just being able to stand underneath the basketball rim and 360 dunk it. <laughs> Is this true? Yeah, I mean, I could I could jump. I, was, I always could do that. I won all the, you know, all the slam dunk contests I um, entered in high school. Montana, Wyoming All Star Game. I was the slam dunk champion in that deal. And um, could you have played in the NBA? Probably. You know, I tried to play in college. I played my freshman year of college as well, basketball. I remember coming out to Shelby and where you're from and playing with Matt Side and Sticker. We used to play a lot together um, growing up and. I don't know what it was about that gym floor, but it was like it was like a trampoline. Sometimes I could jump higher in that gym. Me and Matt could do some crazy dunks in that gym, for whatever reason. And uh, there was a core group of us, kind of from the High Line and down into Great Falls, 
um, Sims, Fairfield, who got together and played a ton of basketball together. It's like the Gamrot era. Gamrot kids, uh, Gustafson's out of Sims. Yep. Um, who else? I forget who. Lee Larson out of Belt. Um, Reese Glico, Matt yeah. Hagum, you know, Jesse Grossman. That, it, we, had a, we had a crew that we would run. We'd get together. And go, that Big Sky, State cha- Big Sky State Games champion team was full of those guys. Jesse Grossman, Lee Larson, myself, Jake Gustafson. We ended up playing all the double-A guys and just— That's a highlight reel of Montana legends. Yeah. So who makes your Montana <coughs> sports Mount Rushmore? Mm. Little barstool sports here for yeah. you. Yeah. All right. Um, Montana, huh? You can't include yourself. No, I don't. Okay. I, that would be that would be quite hubris. I would probably say Dave Dickinson is Dave Dickinson's right at the right at the top there for sure. Um. Maybe like that's hard to do. I want to go with my era, and I'm like the best basketball player I've ever seen from this state is Jake Gustafson. So I've heard stories. Yeah, he he's the best basketball player for his his stature. He was maybe five ten, five eleven. Um, boy, he, could, he just could shoot. He could score like nobody's business. And when he wanted to play defense. Um, so if I'm like picking sports, I'd be like, all right, football, Dave Gus, Dave Dickinson, basketball, Jake Gustafson. Let's go baseball. Baseball. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I get lost with, with Montana. I think, when, you know, Ryan Sandberg started it in Helena with the, uh, you know, yeah. and maybe I'd throw him on there for, for baseball because that was my hero, Ryan Sandberg was. So, um, and then for the other sport, I'd probably think of like women's basketball for me and maybe Shannon Kate. Sure. You know, that's how, who I remember. She's so that, still around. Yeah. So that probably would be my, my Mount Rushmore of, of Montana athletes, probably. That's a good list. We could actually put, uh, if, if you wanted to, we could just put the, my grandmother had, uh, had a grandson as a quarterback in the Pac-10 conference for um, 14 straight years, 1994 to 2008. Uh, me, Matt Kegel, and then Brady Leaf um, as a quarterback in the Pac-12 conference, Pac-10 conference at the time. So you could almost make a Mount Rushmore out of my grandma's grandsons uh, of Montana, which would be pretty cool. And that's, I mean, that's 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 amazing. I think we should just put your grandma up there. Yeah, she's probably she, <laughs> she probably should be put on the front on that for sure. We just had her 90th birthday party this summer. Oh. And uh I get to see her tonight actually, so I'm excited. Well, you told me you're on the road heading over the mountains. Uh you're going to see your grandma and your family, so we'll let you go here. Um but thank you so much, Ryan. Is there anything you want to say uh to the Montanans listening to this about your journey about addiction, about the foundation. Well, I think that uh, every single one of uh, you who are listening are human beings, just like me, flawed human beings, just like me. And you have an opportunity to be part of the solution or not. 
and you can make a choice to deal with something in a healthy, positive way or a, or a negative and toxic one. And that's always on you. You can contribute, whether you do it by donating or whether you do it by reaching your hand out to somebody who's still struggling or just simply chooses to do the next right thing and tries to be better uh, the next day. That's entirely up to you. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And it sounds really simple, but it's really hard. It's hard to take the high road. It's easier to be judgmental and angry and fearful and those things of what you may not know, but to actually be understanding and have an open mind and uh, understand that your story uh, is just as impactful as mine. That's how you can be a service. You can tell your story because you're another human being just like me and you've dealt with adversity your whole life. And I guarantee you, like, if I sat in the audience of anyone who would tell their life story, I would be inspired because you're still there. You're still standing. That means you still got up. You got up every morning and you came and you did this work and you are still here. The journey's over when you don't get back up. And too many of our peers, our fellow human beings, are choosing not to get back up and we have to be there to give them a hand uh, when that struggle gets real. Awesome. Ryan, you're a great dude. You were a great athlete. (laughs) But more importantly, I think you're doing wonderful things with your life now. And you're a blessing to so many people. I can't thank you enough. So everyone out there, you can listen to Ryan on Pac-12 this morning on Sirius XM, channel 373, Monday through Friday, 7 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time. Right? 8 to 11 Mountain Time. 8 to 11 Mountain Time. And then Saturday nights on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82, from 9 p.m. till midnight, recapping all college football, previewing all pro football, and in the fall here, um, talking about uh, Major League Baseball playoffs that are going to start up in the next couple weeks. You are busy. Yeah, it's fun. I get to talk sports for a living. That's pretty cool. Be sure to visit Transcend Recovery, transcendrecoverycommunity.com, and go to focusedintensity.org. Donate now. All donations received by the foundation go directly to scholarships for applicants. Don't wait. Do something. Help our most vulnerable. Go donate now. Thanks, Ryan. You bet. Thanks for having me.